Alan Shipnuck, I've been meaning to get you on this show for a while now, so thank you for doing it. Thanks for coming. I'm happy to be here. So as we talk today, the Live Golf Tour, the thing you know as well as anybody, the thing that you have been a character in the story of, it is descending upon Trump National Golf Course in Bedminster, New Jersey. Alan, this is a course that's about 40 miles west of where I am in New York City, and it feels like for all of the controversy, for all of the ethical debates around this Saudi-backed golf upstart league, right? It feels like this weekend in particular is going to be particularly consequential. Why is that? Yeah, so, I mean, it's no secret that 15 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11 were Saudi Arabian. The 9-11 families have become kind of this moral compass in this whole debate. A protest is taking place at Donald Trump's golf course in New Jersey. Families of 9-11 victims are outraged that his Bedminster golf course is hosting the Saudi-backed Live Golf Tournament this weekend. Obviously, Saudi Arabia assassinated a journalist who's working for the Washington Post, who was a resident of the United States just a few years ago. I mean, Saudi Arabia is a bad actor on the world stage. I don't think that's really in dispute. And now they've come in with all this money and they're floating this entire live golf circuit. And a lot of people are upset about it. Some of the surviving 9-11 families have, have made a point to register their distaste. They're calling this effort sport washing, and they are deeply concerned that pro golfers like Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Sergio Garcia are becoming a mouthpiece for the Saudis and are calling the proceeds to the golfers blood money. They've sent letters to Phil Mickelson and, and other people involved in Live Golf, basically asking them to account for taking the money of these murderers of their family. And because a bed minister is pretty close to New York City, and of course, because it's a Trump venue and he's a, a you know a U.S. president, the protests are going to be bigger and noisier and get more attention. The Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, is exploiting them to improve the Saudi Kingdom's image in the U.S. by associating the kingdom with a respected and time-honored sport to distract attention from its role in unleashing extremism on the world, terrorizing our children murdering our loved ones, and injuring thousands of survivors. The whole reason for being of Live Golf is sports washing. I mean, everybody knows that. It's a chance for Saudi Arabia to launder its reputation on the world stage. Like, hey, you know, look at all these golfers like us. We can't be that bad. Be our friend. It's very transactional. And yeah, you like watching Brooks Kepka make birdies. Uh, sure, that's fun. But 9-11 families are, are here to remind everyone that there are some insidious forces that are part of this. So that protest will be very well covered, and I think they'll get their message across. Last year, in the days after the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Donald Trump was informed that he would no longer be hosting the 2022 PGA Championship at Trump National Golf Club in New Jersey, and that Trump Turnberry in Scotland would likewise not be hosting the British Open for the foreseeable future. For our golf-loving former president, this news reportedly was gutting. But this week, Donald Trump is very proudly welcoming Saudi Arabia's Live Golf Tour to Trump National to the doorstep of New York City's Ground Zero, intensifying a global conflict that is fracturing the sport itself. So today, 
Alan Shipnuck tells us what it's been like to be a protagonist and a catalyst in a geopolitical drama. And he explains why the Live Tour has already won. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Wednesday, July 27th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Alan, it is my belief that in order to truly understand what is happening to the Live Golf Tour over these last several months, we need to understand what your life personally has been like because it's all started with you, to be very blunt. And so what have the last couple months now, how would you describe what those have been like on your end? Uh, interesting, <laughs> eventful. Alan Shipnuck has covered golf for more than 25 years, and his latest book is titled Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar. You know, Live Golf has been percolating behind the scenes for a long time, and there was a, a shadow league called the Premier Golf League that was kind of a, they had the first idea, you know, professional golf has, has been ripe for disruption because the PGA Tour has monopoly on big time golf in the United States and the product has grown stale and the tour has been complacent. And there was definitely a market there for a more interesting global tour. And it was mostly European interests that, that founded this premier golf league. And they had a great idea and a great concept and a really cool global schedule, but they didn't quite have the money. They went to the Saudis and asked if they would finance the whole thing. And the Saudis liked the idea so much, they just stole it. Mm. And they came up with Live Golf. And they left all these guys from the Premier Golf League just uh, on the side of the road. But when the Saudis took the idea, that's when things got turbocharged. And Phil Mickelson was at the center of it. He was clearly the most important figure because he was working both sides of the street between the tour and the Saudis. And he was acting as almost a shadow commissioner for the Saudis, advising them on how to run their circuit, recruiting players. Coincidentally, I started writing this biography about him, you know, not even really tuned into his role. As I was writing this biography and piecing it all together, the rumbles were getting louder and it was clear that this was happening. You know, I approached Phil three times for interviews in the course of writing this biography and he molded over and ultimately he said no. And then a week before the book was due, around Thanksgiving 2021, he called me up and he told me everything. And in the final analysis, you know, Phil just couldn't help himself. It's been said many times about him. He has to be the smartest man in the room. And the idea that I was going to write this whole book about him and, of course, talk about the Saudi stuff. And I wouldn't really knew that he was smarter than Greg Norman, the Saudi front man. And he was smarter than Jay Monahan, the PG Tour commissioner. That he had gamed the whole system and he'd gotten everything he'd always wanted. He just couldn't bear the idea that I wouldn't know all that. And so he, he called me and told me. It only changed the last chapter. At that point, the book was basically done and I was just a, applying the last coat of polish. 
and I sent the book in and we were editing it and going through that whole process, which is lengthy. And um, in February of this year of 2022, the, the Saudi thing had come to a boil. I was hearing from a lot of people in the game that they'd signed their 20th player, which was kind of this threshold they'd set to announce publicly. The announcement was coming in the next week or two. And this was really happening. And it remained the biggest question in the sport is what does Phil Mickelson want? And I was the only person who knew. And uh, you know, my book was not slated to come out until mid-May, and it just felt like malpractice to leave all of that material yes. in the book, you know, Bob Woodward style. And <laughs> it was just time to put put the cards on the table and let golf fans and all the stakeholders in the game really know what's happening behind the scenes. And so we dropped that excerpt from the book in which Phil had his very candid, honest, and, and blunt comments about the PGA Tour and about Saudi Arabia. Golf pro Phil Mickelson, he's facing backlash over the comments he made supporting a Saudi-backed golf tour. And Phil's comments themselves, they felt damning. They felt like they would stick. The World Golf Hall of Famer told journalist Alan Shipnuck, the author of an upcoming unauthorized biography of Mickelson, that he would support the new league even though the Saudis are scary to get involved with. We know they killed Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. I'm not sure I even want it to succeed, but just the idea of it is allowing us to get things done with the PGA Tour. The quotes and the conversation you had with Phil, Alan, where he is more clear about the point of this enterprise and the trade-offs of this enterprise than we have seen anywhere else in the months since, right? Phil's response to your decision to go public with that, how would you describe how that went down? Yeah, I mean, there's an element of double standards and or hypocrisy here that I know keeps Phil up at night because Saudi Arabia has become a player in a lot of different sports, whether it's F1, it's heavyweight boxing, it's horse racing. You know, they, they're hosting big time athletics regularly now. And They've hosted professional golf. The, the Saudi International is this event that's been on the European tour schedule for four years now. And all the top players, save a few, have gone over there, taken the, the bloated appearance fees, taken the Saudi money. And as long as you stay on script, you can get away with it, which is I'm just here to grow the game. I'm an athlete, not a politician. And everyone knows it's bullshit. Everyone rolls their eyes. Mm. But if you stay on script, it's been vetted and people will just kind of let it slide. But, you know, Phil's original sin was that he was too honest and that he said the quiet parts out loud. These are, these are bad guys. And yeah, I'm just, it's just about leverage and money. But it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape the whole business of professional golf. Right. Yeah, they kill Khashoggi. Yeah, they kill gay people. But hey, we're going to disrupt the PGA. Exactly. And of course, the guys who take the Saudi money know those things. They just don't talk about it. But... Uh, at the same time, he, a lot of things that, that Phil has said, they were correct. And other players had the same grievances. And it's because Live Golf has has addressed these things that they've been able to recruit some of these players. Like, you know, he, he's been pushing the, the PJ Tour for years for an NFT platform. You know, Phil's obsessed with NFTs. Of course, and yes. Live Golf is minting them like crazy. You can do whatever you want. And, you know, he Phil saw the value in players being able to promote their own brands to their own social channels. I mean, the PJ Tour will send its own players cease and desist letters if they post their, their highlights. And these are the shots these guys played, but they don't own the rights and the tour will make them take it down. 
Whereas at Live Golf, anything goes. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau walks around with a whole like camera crew at all times and they can blast out tons of content. I know there's an element of bitterness there from Phil, but uh, he, he may yet be vindicated because the PJ Tour has had to change its business model in subtle and not so subtle ways to respond to this threat. And, and those things really are benefiting the players who have stayed behind. So, um, you know, Phil always wanted to be this agent of change and this, this, this maverick. And he's been pretty successful, even though it's come at a, at a personal cost. But you mentioned the problem of going off script here, Alan, and that is an issue that followed you also specifically to London, where the Centurion Club was hosting a live golf event. And this was in June. This was the big kickoff. And it felt like the most newsworthy content to come out of that opening round on that Thursday was not actually anything that happened on the course. It was once again involving you. So what happened? So Phil decided he was going to return to public life at the first live event in London, which of course was a great coup for this, this burgeoning circuit that needed attention. And so at the last minute, I decided to fly over there. Originally, you know, I sent them an email asking to be credentialed, never heard back. And in, in fairness to live golf, you know, the deadline had already passed to apply for credentials. I didn't decide to go until Phil announced. So mm. I just bought some tickets on the website. I used one of their coupon codes I saw on Twitter and, uh, and when I landed that morning, I got an email saying they were going to credential me. So that was great. So one of their people met me at the gate, handed me my credentials, and said to me, you know, Phil doesn't really want to talk to you this week, by the way. I was like, well, not really Phil's call. You know, I, I'm here to do a job. You've validated that with this credential. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of do my thing. And so Phil plays OK golf in the first round. He comes in for a press conference and... I was doing a vibe check. Like I was kind of standing in the back row. It was about three or four deep. It was like this outdoor flash area. It was not a formal sit down press conference. And, uh, and it had just begun. And so I'm standing there and I was just going to see what, what his energy was like. And I had no interest in, you know, uh, some gotcha question. It was just, gonna, I really wanted to know like how he'd spent this time away and he talked about becoming a better man. And I was just curious what that looked like. And I didn't even get a chance to ask the question because these two security guys like literally grabbed me by the arm and like walked me out of there. It was clearly a bad idea, given that the world's press was gathered in the same little corner of, of the club. And, you know, one of the, the CNN dudes videotaped it. It was such amateur hour to bounce a credentialed reporter out of a press conference. And what made it go crazy was, you know, I texted Greg Norman and I was like, Who's, who runs Live Golf? And of course, I've known Norman for a long time. And, you know, I was basically like, what the f***? And he didn't respond right away. And in that time period, the CNN guy sent the video around and there's this classic image who some people have seen of Norman kind of looming over my shoulder with yes. a scowl on his face. And he responds to me, oh, I hadn't heard about it. <laughs> and that's why I just sent him a, a screenshot of the photo and then I put all that on Twitter and it went, <laughs> it, it became quite a thing. So in the days afterwards, trying to unwind what really happened, all the people at Live Golf swear that they did not bounce me out of that press conference, that they're not that dumb. They would never do such a thing in front of the world's media. And it makes sense from what, what, I, can, what I can understand is that, you know, Phil had a couple people there, a swing coach and, and this little wormy dude who works for his management company. And they kind of acted unilaterally and they sent the security goons after me because the Live people are like, this is the last thing we would have wanted. Of course, I went and I asked this guy who works for Phil and he denied it. So it's a he said, she said situation, but 
I kind of believe the folks at Live Golf because it, it didn't serve their interests, right? As you said, it kind of took over the the, the coverage, and uh, but it became symbolic of a lot of things. Like clearly, Saudi Arabia does not encourage a, a free press, and no. to have a reporter, you know, manhandled out of a press conference was just too on brand uh, for the whole thing, and it speaks to this sort of a siege mentality that that Phil and some of these other golfers feel like they're under. They want the money without the scrutiny. They want the, the glory without any repercussions, but that's just not how it works in this life. If you're going to take the Saudi money, there's going to be some hard questions, and the players have not really appreciated it. They, they've seemed caught off guard. Norman himself has put his foot in his mouth a few times. It's it's become part of this low roar around live golf. Is it just some chicanery going on and that whole thing uh, with, with me at the, at the press conference kind of cemented that. Coming up, why Donald Trump thinks Live Golf and the PGA Tour are destined to cement a partnership with each other. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. And you know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. I know I have. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Alan, it is remarkable that this entire story has not yet fully welcomed Donald Trump in as a character until this week, basically, right? Because we're going to Bedminster in Jersey, right outside of New York City. And Trump, the former president, he was on his social media platform, Truth Social, sounding off on the entire debate between the PGA and Live Golf. And he said this. I want to read this to you because it was a remarkable quote that I have questions about. And he said this, quote, all of those golfers that remain, quote unquote, loyal to the very disloyal PGA in all of its different forms will pay a big price when the inevitable merger, all caps, with Live comes. And you get nothing but a big, quote unquote, thank you from PGA officials who are making millions of dollars a year. If you don't take the money now, you will get nothing after the merger takes place and only say how smart the original signees were. So what do you make of those comments? What does he mean here by merger, quote unquote? Well, typically there's not a lot of nuance in that statement, but 
I don't think he's wrong on some level. I, I've been saying this since I was at first event in London that the PG Tour has already lost. They just don't know it yet. The Saudi thing is clearly going to be a success. I think there's a good chance that the PJ Tour is going to have to collectively swallow its pride and bring the live golf circuit into, into the fold because they're losing the battle right now. And, you know, live golf keeps signing up uh, these future Hall of Famers and major championship winners. Hideki Matsuyama, who's, who's the best player to come out of Asia, Masters champion, uh, he's expected to sign. Cam Smith was in play even before he won the Open Championship. If, if they sign the, you know, the reigning champion golfer of the year. Mm. And so what Trump is talking about is that there's not enough players in golf that we care about to split them up into different circuits. There's just not, you know, Liv has not signed players in their prime necessarily, but they've signed guys who move the needle. Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia, Pat Perez, Patrick Reed. These guys, for lack of a better word, I mean, they're very spiky personalities and they're very polarizing and they all have a love-hate constituency and they inspire emotion. Now, none of them right now are, are dominant forces in golf week in, week out, but the average fan is more invested in their journey because it's been you know many years now they've either rooted for or against them. They care about these guys more than they do sort of the anonymous PGA Tour players who are winning some of these B-list tournaments right now. So the tour is losing stars and it's going to affect their business model because all these sponsors signed up to basically this monopoly that had all the best players. And now they're looking around saying, well, I mean, for instance, my hometown tournament is the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And every year they get three big name players. It's Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, and Jordan Spieth. And two of those three guys are now on Live Golf. And if you're AT&T, which sponsors that tournament, you've got to be looking around saying, wait a minute, you know, I'm paying $15 million a year and I just lost two thirds of the players that the public cares about. That's a problem. Jay Monahan, the tour commissioner, has already admitted that. And he's, he's tried the moral argument uh, that if you go over there, you're a bad person. Well, the players aren't buying that. They're going over there anyway. He's tried to appeal to the value of the PGA Tour card being part of this family. Well, the golfers are showing they're like like athletes in other sports. You know, they're, they're, they're now free agents and they're getting a better contract offer and they're taking the money. That happens in every sport. And so I think that the tour badly overplayed its hand and thought that players were going to stick around out of loyalty, out of some sense of virtue. That hasn't happened. So what Trump is saying, and I don't disagree with, is that at some point it makes sense for the PJ Tour to absorb the live events and create this global schedule. Mm. And it's what all the players want. They can stay tour members. They can play their favorite tournaments at Pebble Beach and Riviera and wherever. They can partake in the FedEx Cup bonus and, and all that all that extra money. And they can cherry pick some of these live events, which become just this, this huge value added for them. So that's what every player wants, even if they won't say that out loud. So Alan, what you're saying fundamentally is that live as an institution is calling the PGA's bluff. They are saying that all of these objections you have to the source of our money, you are going to want to be in business with us because the financial reality of our sport is clear enough to enough people. Yeah, they may not want to be in business, but they may have to be in business. And I think that's dawning on the tour and it's dawning on the players. And that's what Trump is tapping into. So Trump did not tap into the source and the cause of the protests that are coming this week, right? And I want to 
play you some sound here, Alan, because our colleague Mark Schleba, he spoke to several individuals who lost family on 9-11, people who planned to protest this event. And one of them is a guy named Brett Eagleson who lost his dad, Bruce, in the World Trade Center. And it speaks to some of the dilemmas that not just golfers, but broadcasters, everybody else in this business are currently contemplating. These golfers, they're doing business with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The same government that our own FBI says in black and white facilitated and supported the 9-11 hijackers. That is, that is, not, that is not to be debated. It is, it is public knowledge. Part of me doesn't blame some of these golfers because they're not educated. They don't realize the atrocities. If somebody dangles a shiny object in front of your eye, you know, 200 million for Phil and countless of other dollars for some of these others, I can see them jumping at it and taking it. But at the same time, you need to realize the atrocities that this kingdom has committed all over the world. Know who you're getting in bed with. And if you still choose to take this money, and if you still choose to say, oh, screw it, I don't really care, then that's between you and your maker. We've set our peace, and you can go and do whatever you want. So, Alan, I play that because I think it speaks to this thing that Charles Barkley is talking about everywhere on national airwaves this week that all these golfers have also grappled with, right? Which is, yeah, I'm told that Saudi Arabia does a lot of terrible stuff, right? But they're offering me a lot of money. And so that's the deal that we make everywhere in life, across capitalism, across this planet. I'm just curious what you hear when you hear that, what you think when you hear that. Yeah, well, it's really powerful. And um, I find it very moving. At the same time, what the, the live golfers have become clever in pointing out is the hypocrisy here in that, you know, we just had, we had an Olympics in China and, the, and there's tons of professional golf in China where they have actual concentration camps. You're referring there to China's treatment of the ethnic Uyghur population, Alan, which has led to criticism of the NBA and Disney, ESPN's parent company, of course, for doing business in that country, something that we've covered numerous times on this show before. You can go on down the list of, of the compromises we make societally, um, and even it, it runs even deeper in golf because the European PGA Tour would have gone out of business years ago if they didn't start taking money from autocratic countries and oppressive regimes. I mean, their biggest paychecks come from China, from Saudi Arabia, from the United Arab Emirates, from Qatar, and that's kept the entire tour afloat. And so it's not a it's not a a surprise that a lot of the de the defectors to live golf early on were European because they made peace with this stuff a long time ago. That I'm just a golfer. I don't ask where the money comes from. I just go out and play and I let the politics sort themselves out. And most of the golfers are at peace with it. The Americans have had to, this is a new question for them. Right. It speaks to actual American victims of the regime that is directly backing this league. Yeah, for sure. And they're still learning how to navigate that. Now, obviously, 9-11 happened on our soil and there's a different level of emotion. That's, that's quite obvious, but they're just choosing to try and stay above the fray and point out that sport is different from politics and these things are bigger than us. By definition, professional golfer plays golf for money and that's just what they're doing and they're not asking too many questions. And uh, for a lot of people, it's disappointing. It feels hollow. There can be an element of betrayal, but that's the choice the golfers have made and it, it's up to the 9-11 families and other people to 
to keep pointing out there's, there's, there's more nuance in this debate. But all of this seems to be pointing us in the direction of the question of normalization, right? Like to you in a sentence or two, what do you think is really driving the question of whether live golf is going to be this thing that we look at with this moral horror, whether we see it as a center of controversy or whether it comes to be a thing that's just normalized in the eyes of the average sports fan? I mean, it's already happening. The thing about sports watching is that it works. You can only register your moral outrage so many times and then it becomes tedious for the person who's saying it and the person who has to listen to it. And so, you know, there's been a lot of hand-wringing about Saudi Arabia and there are elements of the golf press that have been extremely vocal. But at some point it's like, well, this thing's here to stay and it's reshaping the entire sport. I can say the same thing for the 10th or 11th or 12th time, or I can just accept it and move on. That's the insidious thing about sports watching is that it works. I think Live Golf is much further along than anybody anticipated at the juncture as far as signing players and what it means for the entire landscape of professional golf. Even if you have very mixed feelings about it, to put it mildly, you can't ignore it anymore because it's become this 800-pound, you know, gorilla sitting at the table of the sport. It's just become too big, too fast, and too important to be ignored. Alan Shipduck, thank you for sharing your very unique perspective on this entire saga. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a fun conversation, and it's an interesting topic. I mean, we could, we could probably do this again in six months and six months after that. Yeah, Alan, I'll see you in six months. I look forward to it. Thanks, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.